Hello there, this is Guru talking to you about Anchor.fm. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's completely free. Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast as well with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ballistic Podcast. I'm Guru, your co-host, live from San Jose, California. And uh, before we start, for my other two co-hosts, I have a random question. And this random question has to do with the NBA. So uh, given that there is no live NBA basketball going on right now, we're seeing a lot of reruns on TV. What is the most memorable NBA Finals series you've ever watched that does not involve your favorite team? Again, that does not involve your favorite team. What is the most memorable (laughs) NBA Finals series that you've watched in your lifetime? Varun, since you said, God damn it, we'll start with you. Well, that question doesn't apply to me if I can't pick the Celtics. I mean, but actually, I have, I have, okay, um, not NBA Finals, but the whole NBA playoffs run. Um, I think the best NBA playoffs run I've ever seen is the 2011 Dallas Mavericks. That was a really uh, remarkable run. I still remember it. Dirk Nowitzki was was remarkable the entire time. I mean, he was not missing any shots. He was making all his free throws. Nobody could guard him the entire playoff series. OKC, Lakers, Miami Heat. It was probably I'm I'm probably the best uh, single season playoff run I've ever seen from a team because you know they were not even favored at all. I think it was Lakers and Heat. I think those were the projected favorites, and Dallas was nowhere near the top of. Uh, and if not the uh, Lakers, you know, OKC teams expected to right. make the playoffs. Yeah. yeah. So it was a really remarkable run, and that's where I became a big fan of Dirk Nowitzki <laughs> as well. So it was fantastic. It was really fun to watch. All right. Man. That's a good answer. Yeah. but He kind of stole mine, but I actually have another one. And it's not a final series as much as a finals moment. Uh, Ray Allen tying the game oh, in that, uh, in that crazy Heat Spurs series in the final game six. That might have been the moment for me for two teams that I, I really didn't have a vested interest in uh, beyond at that point in time being a little bit of a, I want LeBron to lose <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> besides that. But no, I, I, that, that shot for me was one of the most incredible things ever. Not necessarily because the shot went in uh, because, you know, that's a pretty basic look for Ray Allen, but the offensive rebound, the kick out, just the clutch gene. I, I thought it was just a phenomenal moment, and I really enjoyed. Uh, I, I enjoyed that series immensely, but that moment really personified the entirety of the series. That's a good one. That, that, what that, about you, Gru? That is really, and it, that was actually that was actually my moment. But uh, but uh, I'm gonna pick something else actually. So uh, the final series that really comes to mind for me is actually the Spurs and the the Heat when they met the following year in 2014. The reason why. Is because that year I, I really gained a respect for the Spurs and how they run their business. They played like a flawless series against the Heat. Like it was, 
it was it was an amazing display of game game planning execution at a very very high level and that's why they won the series 4-1 and Kawhi Leonard obviously he had a he had a tremendous series but the Spurs as a team were just like a well-oiled machine and it was one of these series that came came on TV the last couple of days I was and I was watching game one game two game three game four and game five and I was like, damn, the Spurs really did execute at such a high level that he didn't never really had a chance in that series. And you know, I, that's the series when I was like, damn, I, I really gained a respect for the Spurs and their organization and their culture in that series. Like, it was it, it was just amazing to watch it again, and again watch with the kind of you know attention to detail that they that they played with. So you know, yeah, the Spurs and Heat in two thousand fourteen is probably one that's come that comes to mind for me. Uh, but yeah, yeah, guys. Um, welcome to the Ballistic Podcast. Uh, I do like <laughs> how break. you asked the question before introducing us. That was funny. <laughs> that that was that was funny. Well, like you know, sometimes you got to expect the unexpected. Uh, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> right. So, so guys, what what are we going what are we going over today? We're going over some uh, awards, right? Some NBA awards, giving out some you know Ballistic Podcast hardware. But, um, you know, we're not only giving out uh, awards, right? We're also giving out, you know, uh, what do you call it? What do you call, like, the opposite of an, uh, of an the award? The Razzies. It's like the Razzies of the NBA. The Razzies? What, what's a Razzie? <laughs> yeah, <that's> okay. <laughs> like, the Razzie Awards are, you know, like, there's Academy Awards, Best Actor, Best Director. Then the opposite is the Razzie Awards for Worst uh, Movie, Worst Actor, Worst Director. So we're going to do both those. Oh, okay. So yeah, yep. ra- okay, Razzie it is. Uh, the name sounds catchy, catchy, so we'll go with it. The Razzie Awards along with the actual NBA Awards. So um, Vikram, what award do you want to start off with? Uh, let's start off with the big one, MVP. Okay, MVP, let's go. Vikram. Okay, so for it? the MVP, the way we should format this is uh, we should go with, with our top three Although realistically, it's it's kind of a top two, so let's let's start there. Uh, the MVP race really is between Giannis and LeBron. Although I don't really think it's very much between them. Uh, my pick for this is Giannis. I think that uh, his overall season stats, the fact that this season is one of like the top seasons in NBA history from you know from several different perspectives, his per thirty six stats are, are amazing. Uh, I just think that he's had just a tremendous season, and he's done it on both sides of the ball. As we talk about the Defensive Player of the Year section, he'll also feature prominently there. So, I mean, for me, I think Giannis is the MVP this year. And in second would be LeBron, whose resurgence this year has caught some people by surprise as if they forgot how good he was and he just got hurt last year. So uh, those are at least my top two. We can come back to the top three because I think there's a lot more uh, there's a lot more interest in that third pick a little bit. What about you guys? Okay. Um, well, I, I think Giannis and LeBron are, are two obvious candidates, and I can't disagree with you there. Um, the one I would like to say is Steph Curry, because look at how the Warriors fared without him. I mean, the Warriors are the number one or number two team, and now he misses the season, and they're the worst team in the NBA. <laughs> Absolutely terrible. Can't make a shot. Can't defend. He is clearly the MVP. But since I can't choose him, I'll go with Giannis as well. And it's basically what you said. I think more than the offense, his defense this year has been fantastic. Milwaukee is a top five offense and top five defensive team. They're number one defense by a historic margin. 
just to give give some perspective. Oh, yeah, even better. And they have good defensive players like Brooke Lopez, but yep. Giannis runs the show on both ends. He's become a better playmaker. His three-point shot has gotten a little bit more consistent. He's just unguardable going inside. He takes two steps from full court, and he's already there for a dunk, you know? So he's a, a remarkable player to watch. And I agree with you, Brickham, here. He's he's my MVP candidate. And LeBron has also had a really fantastic season. He's like 40 years old, and he's still bullying people. <laughs> whatever he, he can do whatever he wants, and they can't stop him. His three-point shot is remarkable this season. And he's actually a close second to, for me because of what I've seen and uh, just how well he's played with Anthony Davis. And Anthony Davis would be a candidate for me, too, if he played more games. Because well, he played, he's a great he, he all-around that, player. I think, season, I think but... Anthony Davis has played enough games uh, for him to be in, the, in consideration. Yeah. But I, I just and when okay, we talk yeah. about All-NBA, we'll, we'll get to that portion of it. To, to respond to one thing, uh, the first couple games with Steph in the lineup were pretty rough for the Warriors, too. It, it does pay to have... Uh, a good team around you, and, and the Warriors ran out the G League stars. So, uh, you know, not not a That's whole lot a to be expected point. there. And, and you know, and you know, there, there was a guy named Clay Thompson who did not play this year. And I, I just want, I just want everyone to know that, you know, who? Clay, oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> that was a, <laughs> that was a very that egregious uh, response there, Vern, but. Yeah, uh, so for for me personally, I, I got to go with Giannis too. Just I mean, just the way he's led the Bucks for the second consecutive year, uh, he he's he's really improved upon his last year's MVP performance. And uh, we look at you know the back to back MVPs and uh, across you know my lifetime, Tim Duncan won back to back, Steve Nash won back to back MVPs, Steph Curry won back to back MVPs, and Giannis definitely deserves to be in that category. Given how he's improved from his MVP season, I think Varun outlined it, uh, highlighted it very well on the offensive end, on the defensive end, but also improving on his three, on his three point shot. And um, yeah, he, he's gotten to the point where he he's he's sort of unguardable right now, and he really carries that Bucks team. He's the center point of everything that they do. The Bucks were not would definitely not be in 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 the position that they are in right now, and the record that they are in right now without Giannis. And you know. Uh, I can't. Uh, you, I saw that Varun uh, put Steph and Giannis in the same, you know, in the same conversation. Can't wait until they're in the same team together. But uh, you know, when <laughs> wait who? I, did, I think you kind of broke off there. Would you say Steph and who? So uh, Steph and Giannis, man. Steph and Giannis on, on the same oh, team together. Yeah. Ah. Yes. <laughs> we'll see about that. Well, we'll, we'll yeah. see about that. This is the Ballistic Podcast. We, we're we're not afraid to to throw things around uh, there, but um. Yeah, Giannis for me is the MVP, but I will I will say again, like you two have stated, like LeBron was making a a big run at, at that award. In fact, you know the the final week before the NBA got um, got you know postponed or canceled, um, it was really uh, it, it was really great to see LeBron that weekend. You know, be able to you know defeat the uh, the Milwaukee Bucks at home and then defeat the Clippers on the road. He he had an, he had two outstanding performances there, MVP like performances there, and you know if he if he were to finish the season like that, I I said it on the show that you know if LeBron was able to do uh, to keep that up, you know he would put put himself in the MVP conversation, and I would not be opposed to that at all. Unfortunately, the 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 year got suspended, or we we don't know what's going to happen. But uh, LeBron really was making a run at Giannis for for, the, for that award. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, I have to give it to Giannis. So Giannis it is. 
Yeah, I think yeah. we're it's it makes complete sense. He's had a great year. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think we're all on the same page as far as uh, Giannis winning winning the MVP this year. Right. I was a little surprised by the, uh, frankly, by the amount of people that uh, it was. It was close, mostly because I think we all suffer from a little bit of recency bias. I think LeBron's run over the last, uh, over well, not the last, I guess, since the NBA's been out of out of season for a little bit, but the last few games before the postponement, like Guru was talking about, were just really incredible performances about why LeBron James, the greatness of LeBron James, and also what happens when. Uh, he has a really solid team around him with the Lakers. And I think if, like we talked about in the last episode, if this season doesn't continue, I think it's going to be tragic that some of these teams with older players uh, may not get an opportunity to compete for the for the title this year. So uh, that's just one interesting thing that's continuing on now. Yeah, for sure. So and the next award I want to get into is uh, most disappointing disappointing player and since since i brought it up I'll, I'll go first my most most disappointing player award goes to uh kyrie irving so, uh, dang it wow yeah that was your pick, pick really pick yeah wow. yeah it, it, it was it was my pick too because just because i know you know i know kyrie irving has had you know a couple of injuries this year and and he was so you know supposed to be well, one of the key players on on the Brooklyn Nets, and you know it's not entirely his fault that he you know he he got injured he got hurt, but you know it, it is what it is. With with the high salary comes high re- high expectations comes high responsibility, and when you are unable to live up to uh, live up to that, and your team is dependent on you like like the Brooklyn Nets were sort of depend dependent on Kyrie to help help them you know get over some sort of hump this year if not the entire hump I know that Kevin Durant has been uh, has been hurt and was supposed to sit out the year but uh Kyrie was supposed to you know catapult the next Nets into you know a five seed or a four seed you know a, a force in the Eastern Conference and the fact that that did not happen you know and the fact that he was not able to uh be on the court for a long for for a while is is very disappointing and that's 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 why he's the most disappointing player. I don't want to call him the, the worst player of the year because that would be unfair. But he's definitely the most disappointing given you know what I, I expected him to could come up with this year with the Nets and and, and with him being in, you know in a supposedly happy situation uh, versus what ha- actually happened and uh, where uh, where this year ended up for him. So for me, it's it's Kyrie Irving for uh, most disappointing player. Uh, Varun, uh, you're up next. Most disappointing player. That actually caught me off a little, uh, caught me a little off guard. But you know, when you talk about your reasons, it makes a lot of sense. And so, hopefully, him and KD can stay healthy next year. Although right now, that doesn't look like it might happen. But um, my guy, I think I had a few people for this award, and I thought about it. But I have to go with, you know, I, when I th- think about this award, I think it has to be a player who you had expectations for. And by extension, the team as well. Uh, but when the team faltered and the player also faltered, then I think uh, Al Horford is my guy. Because, you know, the Sixers okay. gave him a big contract. Um, he didn't fit very well. Uh, and I know that's not completely his fault. That also does fall on Brett Brown. But I definitely expected a much better all-around performance from Al Horford on Philly. Because when he signed with Philly, I mean, I don't know what you guys 
thought, but I thought he would be a really good fit with Joel Embiid because he can stretch the floor, he can pass. He's a very high foot basketball IQ player, very smart. And I thought he'd be a natural fit with Joel Embiid and uh, Toby Harris and Ben Simmons and Josh Richardson. I thought that would have been a pretty damn good starting five. But Al Horford definitely disappointed this year. Uh, hopefully he does a lot better next year because he's a really good player. That would be my pick. So, Vikram, on to you. Yeah, well, I uh, I actually really like Al Horford as a, as a pick. I thought that was a really good idea. Uh, I think that it is tough in that situation. Uh, I, I, like you, actually had the same idea that that would, you know, that would be a nasty, nasty defensive team. Like one of the best in NBA history type level with the type of defensive talent that they had. It just hasn't yeah. materialized so well. Uh, but I think I'm still going to go with Kyrie. And the reason is, in two consecutive years, he's blown up like two teams that were doing well without him. And I think that really counts for something. <laughs> now, one other thing I'd say is availability really does matter. And this is like three out of five seasons that Kyrie is, has not been able to finish the end of the season. So like that really, really does actually matter too. So in that sense, I think he, he's been below expectations in that regard as well. Uh, beyond that, there's some question to me about, like, Spencer Dinwiddie is not a better point guard than Kyrie Irving, but does he fit the Nets better? There's a, there's a perspective for me where he does. So, I mean, yeah. it, it's got to be tough for that front office. I mean, you think about the Nets with Dinwiddie, next year with Dinwiddie, Laverb, KD, Kyrie. There's a lot of primary ball handlers on that team. Somebody's got to move, and... I, if I were the Nets, you know, I'd be really nervous about trading Spencer Dinwiddie away, particularly given how injury-prone Kyrie is. So, you know, it's it's tough to be a GM, man. I, uh, but I really feel like Kyrie has put that organization in a little bit of a bind. Do you think um, they should go forward with Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert and KD and try to trade away Kyrie, or do you think? They should be open to the idea of having Kyrie as a bench player. I know, given his skill set, he probably won't accept it. But I think a guy like him might be better off coming off the bench. Frankly, There's I think no you, way you would ever do this. Minutes. Yeah, I know, but I think they should be open to the idea. Well, I don't think he will be ever. That's also no. true. Yeah, I know he won't be open to it, but you're right. I mean, I think uh, Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert are a really good fit with each other. And I think Jared Allen should also be in the starting lineup, but DeAndre Jordan has played well as well. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's uh, go back to the Kenny Atkinson thing. It may have been some conspiracy theory, but the very next game, uh, yeah. <laughs> DeAndre Jordan back into the starting lineup. DeAndre Jordan's in the starting Ball. lineup. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, you can tell me that that wasn't a portion of it. Maybe it's the truth, but that's a hell of a time to do that. Because it makes it very convenient. Like <laughs> and I, I mean, for the Nets moving forward, right? Like, we have to be questioning what level Kevin Durant is going to come back at. Like, oh, yeah. I hope he's eighty percent of the player that he was. Right? I think it would be unrealistic to say he's going to be as good as he was. And Achilles injury is pretty serious, right? The the best outcome I can think of in the past few years uh, with that injury has been Rudy Gay, and he's come back pretty well but i mean i'm thinking you know at best he's going to be 80 percent of the player he was and i mean he, he's always going to be able to shoot over guys 
Uh, he's always going to be able to do that type of stuff. Uh, but his ability to to move laterally, to explode from right to left and left to right, particularly left to right in this case, uh, and then you know his ability to finish around the rim with some explosion, like those are pretty critical parts of his game. So we'll see how, what kind of impact it has on him next year. And in a sense, this time off is a, is a blessing in disguise for a lot of injured players because they get more time to recover. They just aren't able to rehab the same way that they would normally be able to. But the time certainly does help. So here's to hoping Kevin Durant can come back as healthy as humanly possible for the next season. Yeah, yeah I think, uh, you know, Bicker, me and you have gone through uh, injuries where we needed surgery. And yeah. I think one of the most uh, the one of the things people don't talk about is the mental aspect of it. You get back onto the court and you're sometimes you're just worried about making those same moves with your legs because you yep. never know what could happen. And KD, given his playing style, he could come back. He could have a smooth transition physically, but mentally, what is it going to be like? That's the big question mark there. Yeah, I mean, are you going to be comfortable, you know, pushing off your your injured Achilles tendon? I mean, I know for you, you're not really super comfortable doing Euro steps anymore, right? Because yes, that's twice in <laughs> yep. a row. <laughs> yep, torn two, two, two Euro steps, two torn ACLs. Uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I'm never doing me, that move again. Yeah, for yeah, exactly. Uh, for me, having torn both my patellar tendons, it was a really long time. Uh, like it was at least three months after I was cleared and back on the court and back doing activities that I felt comfortable uh, really lifting weights again and really trying to jump as hard as I could again. And I mean, it it really is like you said, a mental issue more than a physical one. So I mean. My heart is out to all these players that come back through so many injuries. I mean, you talk about Kevin Durant. You talk about you know Steph Curry's ankles. I can only imagine what it must feel like to not be able to trust your body when you put a foot forward, to not know whether or not it's going to hold. I mean, like these are just things that we as, as normal people really can take for granted that these athletes go through on a day-to-day basis. So, I mean, it's just such a rough life in that, in that sense. That they go through and they're expected to conquer, right? Which is not always the case. Yeah. And, you know... And uh, perf- yeah. Like, I, uh, it's just conquer. It's like actually get to 100% of your outcome at 70%. Like, that's what's expected of these people. It's, it's pretty insane when you think about it. I can't really think of that many other careers where, you know, you're sick, you're expected to play as hard as you can. You're hurt you're expected to play as hard as you can. I mean, it's pretty brutal. And athletes in general have a tendency to say, you know what, forget the pain. I'm just going to keep doing it. And that's the worst thing you can do for injuries. I say this is somebody who basically got hurt because I kept doing the same thing instead of taking time off. So, I mean, uh, in a sense, like I said, this, this delay can really help injured players come back. For, for, for sure. And I, I agree with whatever you guys, you know, the discussion that you guys were having. And I, I just uh, I was just laughing, imagining, you know, Kyrie being told that he's coming off the bench and him throwing a hissy fit on the court. <laughs> <There's zero laughs> yeah, I, was, I was just laughing in yeah. my head about that. <laughs> that sounds like something that he would By do. By the way, did you guys have any other uh, names for disappointing players? Because I had a few others like I had uh, uh, Toby Harris on the Sixers because he got a huge contract. And I guess I expected more from him. And then I also had Oladipo. I, he's a good player. It just the he's still injured and it sucks. But I, yeah. I 
I, I was hoping I'd see him more on the court. So I put him in my list there too, just for I the. I think injuries. that's a little rough. I think an expectation. Oh, yeah, Oladipo is going into the season. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that I actually think that this time is really good for him. He looked exactly like I expected him to. Actually, his uh, his activity in passing lanes and on defense surprised me. I actually think he's been better than I anticipated him being. I just think coming off that injury and then trying to play at, at an NBA level is really difficult. But, I, I mean, I know what you're saying in terms of, you know, for what he was, what he is now is a little disappointing. But I'm pretty confident he'll be able to work back to where he was. I hope so, because he's a really good player, really all good all around. Offense and defense. Yeah. I mean, there's... I'm a little... I'll tell you one other thing I was a little disappointed with. With uh, with John Collins and DeAndre Ayton with the, the whole PED suspensions. That's a good one. I. That's actually a really good one. It, it's really disappointing to me for both of those players. And, and the main reason is you're really, you're, you're really screwing your team over. Uh, particularly with John Collins on the Hawks, like they really needed him this year, like really, really badly needed him. And to lose him for 20 games is, it's ridiculous. You're a professional, you know? I mean, I don't know all the details as to what exactly you were taking or not taking or any of those things, but the idea that you would even put yourself in that scenario or that situation, you know, speaks very poorly of your decision-making in a sense. And that really it's somewhat concerning. And also for the Hawks, it's bad because they need as much time and opportunities as they can get to evaluate what types of players fit around John Collins if he's worth building around. So, I mean, that's a huge loss for him. Uh, also, the same thing with DeAndre Ayton. Uh, you know, to not be playing in crucial and critical games for your team and losing critical developmental time for your organization is like the worst-case outcome for a young player. So, I mean... Those two for me were really, really disappointing. And now their their actual performances haven't been bad, so not in that sense, but just the idea you was a quarter of the season for something so stupid. Yeah, for for sure. And yeah, those are great picks. They, those they, are really good. Actually, those those are good ideas too. I I think thinking about it now, you know, Al Horford might have not played to the standard I expected, but John Collins, DeAndre Ayton, as you mentioned, are really hurting their team by doing the stupid stuff. That's all I wanted to add. Yeah, and, and another uh, candidate for this award is probably Mike Conley, uh, g- given. Oh, good one. Yeah, g- given what, what the Utah would be expected from him going to the Utah Jazz, and yeah, uh, and and what actually transpired there, uh, a, b- a big conflict with their starting lineup. You know, we never expected that to take place. So you know, my Mike Conley is, a, is another candidate, but yeah, de- definitely DeAndre Aiden. Uh, and in fact, the Suns are actually playing really, really well. When DeAndre Aiden was in the lineup at the beginning of the season, and and he it sort of took the air the out of the balloon. Game. Well, I mean, it sort of <laughs> took the air air out of the balloon for for them when he went out. And you know, for a young team like that who like needs every bit of momentum that they can get, uh, it was tough. But but anyways, let's let's move on. Uh, Varun, you you're up next. What's our next award? Oh, uh, oops. Uh, let me check. Unless you already have an award in mind. Um, I guess we'll go with six man. Go with six man. Yeah, let's go six okay. man. It's normally a, it's a, it's a, it's like the same guy every year. Um, but I guess I'll just start it off. So, Lou Williams wins every year, 
And just for the sake of choosing somebody different, I'm going to go with Dennis Schroeder on OKC because OKC has had a really good year. And Dennis Schroeder has been a big part of it coming off the bench. Very solid coming off the bench. Really good playmaker. I think his decision-making has gotten a lot better. And I think he puts really good minutes behind CP3 and SGA. So I'm going with Dennis Schroeder. Uh, go ahead, Guru. You're going, you're going Dennis Schroeder? Man. Um, yes. Okay, for the sake of being different. For the sake of being different, who should I pick? You don't have to be different. You could go with Lou Williams, because <laughs> <You know? laughs> he does deserve it. He 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 doesn't he does in fact deserve it. Uh, I, I mean he he's he's been playing really really well this year. Um, geez, yeah, I think I I think I'm just gonna go Lou Williams just because you know he's he he's he's still a big part of the Clippers and what they do. Um, and you know him and Montrezl Hill Harrell are the best you know probably the best bench combo in the NBA. Go go going in and yeah I'm 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 gonna stick with Janice Shooter for for this one just because it's hard to think of anybody else but Vikram I'm gonna leave that up to you. Yeah, uh, I think I actually like what Dennis Schroeder has been doing more than what Lou Williams has been doing mostly because I feel like Lou Williams is underperformed this year and Dennis Schroeder is overperformed this year oh. and their team standings kind of showed for me like the Thunder are not where they are without Dennis Schroeder. It is fair to say that Dennis Schroeder. If he wasn't playing with Shea Gilgis Alexander and Chris Paul in that three-headed guard lineup tandem, he wouldn't be successful. But the same thing can be said of Lou Williams with Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Montres Harrell. So it's kind of a toss-up. But I, I actually think what the Thunder have done as a team is much, much more impressive than what the Clippers have done. So I'm inclined to give it to Dennis Schroeder. Plus, he's shooting 38% from three, which is pretty impressive. Just going to put it out there. Uh, but I think one of the interesting things with six-man of the year is that there are always a couple of names that are really critical, but never that, that but aren't like scoring enough to necessarily get uh, that to get noticed. So a couple of names that I want to throw out here uh, are like, for example, I think George Hill coming off the bench for the Bucks has been absolutely tremendous. The guy can't miss this year. He's shooting some ridiculous percentage from three, and it's really been critical to their success uh, when the Bucks starters are out and Bud plays that really low minute system for his starters. So. It's pretty helpful to have somebody like that coming off the bench. Uh, somebody else that I think deserves a little bit of mention here is the aforementioned Spencer Dinwiddie, who started too many games because of Kyrie's absence, but otherwise I think would have a more uh, a more critical role in this discussion with six men of the year. And lastly, just because I like the Lakers too in this conversation, I think Dwight Howard deserves a shout out here as well. Not that I think he's <laughs> six man of the year or anything, but just for somebody overperforming at their role which is what we really expect from six men of the year. Uh, so, you know, I, I just think that there are some other candidates there too. Not necessarily they're going to win it, but just reserve, uh, deserved a little bit of a mention. Uh, and another per, another player who deserves a big mention is Goran Dragic. He's, oh, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, he's averaged 16 points uh, a game coming off the bench for the Miami Heat, and he's really, really fortified that bench lineup for them. And, you know, him along with the guys like Tyler Hero, um, Jay Crowder, Duncan Robinson, the all, all these all these misfits and castoffs being put up to, put together. Misfits. I like I like the choice of the word. You like the choice of the word, <laughs> castoffs and misfits. I don't I don't know if it's necessarily fair, but I mean, but you're right. Like nobody thought Duncan Robinson was gonna be like some amazing NBA shooter. Yeah, he but is. he is. But he is, and he's good. Now he's kind of a 
Siv on defense, but he provides the most important, the single most important NBA skill, which is the ability to shoot the shit out of the ball. So, you know, good for him. He spreads the floor for them. And, you know, when, when you spread, spread the floor on a team with Jimmy Butler on it, you're going to get looks. And uh, on the defensive side of the ball, Jimmy, Jimmy's going to take care of that. So, I mean, for, for the yeah, for the Heat, I, I, I like Goran Dragic. I like what he what he's done this year. So, yeah. Yeah. That's another guy one, who deserves it. For yeah. Derek Rose, too. Oh, yeah. He, one, yeah. He, he, he's had a good year. He's had a good year. He's had a great year. Even Davis great. Bertans on the Wizards. Oh, yeah. That's a good one, too. Davi Smith-Thomas. Dude, he is, he is like the single greatest shooter in the NBA. I mean, like, you talk about just a bomber at the forward spot, man. The, he the, literally fit in any team in the NBA. Any team. The, it's the, the, ball really com- the ball comes out, out of his wrist like a slingshot, right? Like, it's it's just going in. Yeah, and isn't he the one that's, like, missing a piece of his shooting finger, too? Wow. Yeah, I think he's, like... Uh, uh, he's like missing a piece of his shooting finger. That, let me, yeah, let me look that. That's surprising. That, that sounds like yeah, he lost even part better. of his right ring finger in a wood uh, wood cutting accident when? on a shooting oh, hand. When? When did this yeah, happen? Yeah, I knew uh, on his right ring finger, not his shooting finger, shot his shooting hand, but yeah, his right ring finger. You know, you can actually really see it on these. Uh, like, if you look for a picture of him, you can see distinctly that his right ring finger is like way shorter. Okay, when when did this happen? Uh, did this happen he early in his tra- childhood? Uh, when he was 13. Oh, okay. So he, he came into it with the, uh, I mean, in, in the NBA, he, he still had it then. But yeah, I mean, that, that that's awesome that he's he's able to do that. Um, Dude, I'm telling you, man. Really... He's missing a, about a half of an inch of a ring finger. That's wow. insane. I bet the Spurs really regret that trade especially because they were assuming they were going to get Marcus Morris and then he didn't come and they already traded Davis Bertans away. Yep. So I bet that's probably their, one of their biggest regret in years. Well, when we talk about uh, front offices, not front office of the year, we can uh, certainly discuss that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's true. All right. All right. So, so we talked about a stud award. Let's talk about a, a Razzie. So what's a Razzie you guys have in mind that you want to bring up? Well, we already I talked about. I don't know if there's this. a Razzie of six man. We can do one like uh, you know, like most improved. But we did. Yeah, we let's. Did uh, disappointing player. Let's. We already did most disappointing player. Let's actually move to defensive player of the year since it's a pretty big award. I'm surprised we went from MVP to six man. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Hey, you're the MVP of the bench, but but anyways, yeah, it's it's fine. Let's defensive yeah, player of so, the year. Who do you got? Who do you got? Who do you got? Let me uh, let me frame this for us. Uh, I think that there are really, for me, three candidates for this. Uh, I think Giannis, Rudy Gobert, as always, and uh, Anthony Davis are my three candidates. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I actually really struggled with this one a little bit uh, because I don't really have a clear idea of which one of these people – well, I, I know who, for me, doesn't win it. I don't think Rudy Gobert wins it for me because of – where the Jazz are in terms of defense this year. So for me, that's kind of the killer uh, for Rudy Gobert's chances. I really like what I really really like what uh, Utah has done. This, or, uh, or not Utah? What I'm saying, Utah has not done well enough this year to actually, from a defensive perspective, to actually warrant him getting Defensive Player of the Year. I believe they're like. 
their their defense has really slipped this year to like tenth. Uh, They're tenth this year in defense with uh, with a one hundred nine point four defensive rating. So I mean, it's uh, it's not great. By contrast, just to give you guys the data here, uh, the the Bucks are one hundred two point three and they're first. And they're wow. better by 3.8 points than the Lakers at 106.1. And so, I mean, you really look at it. You're, the top three teams' defense this year are Milwaukee, the Lakers. Uh, Lakers are number three. And at number two, we have Toronto. So, I mean, those are your best defensive teams. For me, the, the reason I, I think I'm leaning more towards Anthony Davis than I am uh, towards Giannis is because... I think Rune talked about it earlier in the show, but the Bucks have really, really, really good defensive talent around them. Uh, beyond just Giannis, who's an incredible defender, they have Brooke Lopez, who, if you listen to Buck fans, should also be a Defensive Player of the Year candidate. Uh, they have Eric Bledsoe, who is a phenomenal point guard defender and guard defender generally. Chris Middleton is no slouch on defense either. So I mean, you're really looking at a team of of more than plus defenders at every single position. And for me, I think that the Lakers don't have the same level of defensive talent and are still with Anthony Davis putting a top three defense out there. And he's clearly the anchor of that defense. If you watch a, uh, if you watch a Lakers game, you'll see how much he impacts the defensive side of the floor, every single possession. And so for me, I think I would go with Anthony Davis because of what he's done to make the Lakers' defense great. Whereas, to, a, to an extent, it's, it's unfair, but the Bucks are performing to the level that I expected them to perform, even though it is historically great defense. What do you guys think? I, I actually have to agree with you, Vikram, that I, see, for me, it's really, really close between Giannis and Anthony Davis. And I think uh, a guy who comes in third place for me, personally, is Ben Simmons. Uh, I just watching him play defense this year and him defending the one, two, three, and four uh, positions on the on the on the court has been pre- pretty impressive to watch. I, I think Ben Simmons deserves a shout out for that, if anything, this year. Uh, but um, you, you know, Anthony Davis, you I think you hit the nail on the head, uh, Vikram. The Lakers without Anthony Davis just aren't a great defensive team on paper. And for, yeah. for, for for Anthony Davis to step in there and, and be the focal point of that defense and played very very well, played at a high level, is is has really been a part of why the Lakers have been really really good this year. Um, I, I also it's not his de- just his defense at the rim. I love the way he's been switching on the guards this year. Uh, watching, uh, huh? Excuse me. Uh, oh, I was, I was saying I agree with you 100. percent Yeah, his defense switching on the guards this year has actually been really really good. And his mobility, his his ability to stick with guards, and in in the switching NBA, right, where you're asked to switch more often than not, Anthony Davis does fit into that defense as well, and he's he's been ex- ex- extremely impressive. I, I think uh, I read a, a a statistic where Anthony Davis, uh, when the uh, when a player is guarded by Anthony Davis, they they only shoot thirty eight point five percent from the floor. And given the players that Anthony Davis guards on a daily basis, which are like low post players, players who are shooting higher percentage shots, that's really, really impressive. So uh, for me, uh, the defensive player of the year uh, is is Anthony Davis. But having said that, Giannis, you know, he, he's everywhere on defense. He's everywhere. And uh, he, he does not deserve to be overlooked. 
but for me, oh, yeah. it's, for, for me, it's AD. But I think it's important to say he's able to be everywhere because they have another traditional rim protector, oh, yeah. Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez. able to yeah. play that help defense because of that. And that's not to say he couldn't be a really good rim protector. He clearly is. And if he played more at center, I'm sure we would see that. It's just that, in, in a sense, it's like the idea where when Kevin Durant and Steph Curry were on the same team for the Warriors, neither of them was going to win MVP. In this sense, he's he's kind of being hurt in the same way. That's, and and when uh, Steph Curry and uh, Giannis are on the same team, we'll see Giannis as a rim protector. Uh, oh, Baron. my gosh. <laughs> Um, I think it's pretty obvious for me. I mean, Rudy Gobert shut down the whole league, so he should definitely be DPOI. But sorry, <laughs> maybe it's a little too soon. But um, just thinking about it, I think uh, <laughs> that um, just registered. That literally, I was like, I was uh, like, Wait, what? Was what like, happened? Yeah, I thought it was a pretty funny joke. I'm like, where are the laughs? But <laughs> no, no, it, it was actually really funny. It just was past me for a second, but I get it now. It's great. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, what happened? <laughs> he shut down the whole, the whole. Yeah, league. like no, he didn't. Oh, yeah, he did. Okay, <laughs> next. All right, go ahead. But actually, like you guys were talking about it, I actually didn't couldn't make up my mind because it was between Giannis and Anthony Davis. But you guys both made really good points. And actually, what Vikram said at the end really sold me. Uh, the fact that Giannis is put in a great position to succeed. You know, he can he can risk taking chances on defense uh, because he has such great defensive talent around him. And Anthony Davis uh, has had a fantastic year. And the Lakers do have good defenders, like Danny Green, for example. But uh-huh. nowhere near uh, like the Bucks, and so yeah, it just goes to show you that Anthony Davis is the best all-around big in the NBA today. Uh, that's probably not a surprise, but he's uh, he's had a really good year, and he should be an MVP candidate. Uh, so yeah, I agree with you guys, Anthony Davis. So where I would quibble with that a little bit is, I don't know that he, I would definitely say he's the best all-around center in the league, but I, I still think Giannis is better than Anthony Davis. Best all-around big. Yeah, Giannis is a big. He's definitely not a guard. Well, I consider him a forward. Oh, okay. You're yeah. So I would say like more more in the center category when you say big. Right. Okay. I mean, Giannis yeah. is like a small uh, forward. I, I think power. by big he means like low post presence type of guy. Yeah. Gian- yeah. Giannis. I mean, Giannis definitely has the ability to you know wear that hat, right? But yeah, but it's not right. it's not his everyday thing. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think for for it's like Anthony Davis and Joel Embiid, right? Like those would that would be where the comparison is essentially. But you know, it's, that aside, uh, I think yeah, yes, yeah. I'm talking about Davis, Embiid, Cat, uh, um, anybody else comes to mind? Jokic, Jokic, yeah, those guys. But not a two way player, obviously there. But like, yeah, no, I, I got, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, just wanted to make sure that we're on the same page. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that was... uh, next award, Guru. You want to go with the next award? Uh, okay. So, can can I can I go with uh can I go with front office of the year? Yeah. Sure. So we uh we didn't really want to do executive of the year. We wanted to do front office of the year. So basically, the team that we thought uh, did the best job this year at putting together a coherent roster and. Things like that. So, uh, who'd, who'd you have, Guru? Okay, so I actually had my thoughts written down for this. So just let me just let me, let me pull that up for a second. But uh, for so for my um, for for my front office of the year, I'm going to give it to the Memphis Grizzlies. And and the reason okay. why, yeah, the reason I'm giving it to the Memphis Grizzlies is because they 
first of all, they made a couple of savvy trades uh, this past offseason. Uh, they they hired they hired a new coach, um, and uh, and everything seems to be paying dividends for them. So let's let's so let's get into that uh, a little bit. So obviously, starting off the offseason, they they traded Mike Conley. Uh, they hired Taylor Jenkins as as their head coach, who you know he's not a household name, right? But he, but he he he's a guy who uh, you know they trusted and to to come in and you know get the job done. You hear about you know these assistant coaches, right? Who with with sort of the pedigree of okay, this guy's you know the next head coach. Uh, the 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 Grizzlies didn't go with that. They went for a guy a guy like Taylor Jenkins, you know, who felt who they felt that fit fit who fit their team, and uh, you know that that definitely paid dividends. And obviously to, through the draft, having the number two pick and being able to target John Morant, um, obviously you know he was the obvious pick there, but um, having him on the court and building the team around his ability when uh, he when he was just a rookie. It speaks it speaks volumes about their front office. Um, also, in in the trade last year, uh, getting get, uh, get uh, trading Marcus Saul for uh, for guys like Jonas Valanciunas, who uh, he makes who who makes a high salary but plays a very distinct role on the Grizzlies was was a really really good trade, and, and he fits along with the other young guys they have on their squad: Jaron Jackson Jr., um, Brandon Clark. Um, Dylan Brooks it's just a, a bunch of pieces that come together in the right way also acquiring Josh Jackson and putting him in the G putting him in the G League and bringing him back up all of those moves in concert with each other are why the Memphis Grizzlies rebuilding schedule is ahead of schedule and you know they deserve a lot of props for doing all the right things over the past couple of years and uh, that is why they are a competitive team right now and I see them being extremely competitive going into the future so the Memphis Grizzlies are my front office of the year that's a that's a really good one um, because I think they've also been the most surprising team of the year uh, them and OKC maybe and so John Morant has played really well yeah Josh Jackson like what a great pickup off the bench um, and yeah Jonas Valanciunas another great player so I that's a great pick um, I'm gonna list my candidates first because I thought about this quite a bit um, there's quite a few uh, intriguing candidates. Like there's OKC, you know, uh, trading away Russell Westbrook for Chris Paul, uh, getting SGA for Paul George and Danilo Gallinari. Uh, they made really good. Sam Presti, you know, is always he's known to be a really good GM, and he made really good moves. Um, I think there's also Miami. You talk about Kendrick Nunn, guy came out of nowhere. Jimmy Butler, you know, he's played very well. Uh, Pat Riley always makes really good moves. Uh, there's a lot of intriguing candidates, uh, but I have to go with the Lakers because really? they they reshaped their entire team, and they're number one in the West. You know, they got LeBron. They traded for Anthony Davis, and at a lesser price than what they would have uh, given away back at the trade deadline. They made really good savvy pickups like Avery Bradley, uh, Dwight Howard. Uh, they brought back Rondo. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting a few names because there's a lot of good, uh, players <laughs> there. Back. A lot yeah, of, I, a I, lot I, of I, Lakers I, fans would a, disagree with you with that, with that Green, Rondo Danny Green, comment. JaVale McGee. I, I think they have a lot of good pieces there. And, uh, you know, uh, Bob Polinka, there's stuff about him not being liked. But he's done a good job. Him and his staff have done a good job. And you have to give credit where it's due. I think they've done a really good job overall with the team. 
Uh, they've overturned their entire roster and made it into a championship team. And they're going to contend for the next few years. And it's because of what they did this season. So I think uh, front office of the year for me are the Lakers. Sikram, on to you. Well, I'm surprised you didn't mention my uh, my team, which for me is the Toronto Raptors by like far. Uh, what they've done to have lost Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green and be a better team numerically than they were last year with the league's second best defense with the number of injuries they've had and the rotating cast of characters that they're putting in there, like Matt Thomas, she even know he was an NBA player and Terrence Davis. And I mean, you talk about names coming out of nowhere. The Toronto Raptors have that in spades. Like they have played so many different lineups and they're pulling people like Rondé Hollis Jefferson is playing a bunch of minutes for them. I mean, they're playing all sorts of people and having success after success after success. And that has a lot to do with Masai Ujiri in the front office there. And also, we'll, we'll get to this in the coaching section. But, like, for me, the coach of the year, like, spoiler alert, coach, my coach of the year is Nick Nurse. But we'll, we'll talk about that there as well. But, I mean, I think what the Raptors have done to put a coherent team together, and not just a coherent team, but one that has well overperformed what their expectation was, uh, is truly remarkable. The, and that's not to say anything against the Lakers and the Grizzlies. The one thing I would say with the, the Lakers is that Anthony Davis trade, they paid a, a, a really heavy price for that. And some of the things that I didn't like about that trade were like the idea that you give a pick swap to the team or they can – or not even necessarily a pick swap, but they can take your pick. They basically can choose whether or not to have your pick in 2024 or 2025 depending on the circumstances – I mean, they're giving themselves so much more ground, and that wasn't necessarily necessary. I mean, it was to get the deal done, but like those are those are some pretty heavy penalties for the Lakers there. Uh, and then for me with the Grizzlies, I don't necessarily give them credit for making the John Morant pick because they got lucky to be the second pick in the first place. That's not to take away what they've done. It's just to say that the idea that you take – the guy who people think should be second at second is definitely a good thing, but it's what should have been done. Uh, but so. it, but it's I don't think it's just picking Jaw with the second pick. It's it's really building a team and building a concept around him, and that ha- has to do with you know the coach that they hired, and uh, and you know the players that they put around him. I think that deserves a little bit of yeah. credit, right? I'm not saying it doesn't deserve credit. I'm just saying I think what the Raptors have done is way more impressive considering where they are in the standings. Like so best one thing idea. I'd say about uh, Toronto is um, I definitely see where you're coming from. Like they did make good decisions like uh, keeping Kyle Lowry and Marcus all for an extra year. But I think their development is more because Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet and OG Ananobi have taken, you know, a significant step in their game. And I think that's and and uh, you alluded to Nick Nurse. He is actually going to be one of my coaches of the year candidates as well. And I think those Two factors played a big part. I do see where you're coming from regards to Toronto. And um, regarding the Lakers, uh, they did give up a lot for Anthony Davis, but they were aggressive. They knew they had a window, and they went for it. And I think it's paying off. You know, they're number oh, yeah, one definitely. in the West. And uh, they, they, you know, Palinka and his staff brought in some good players around them, like Danny Green, Dwight Howard. So everything they've done, their success this year is a direct result of everything they did in the offseason. 
And so that's why I picked the Lakers. Yeah, I'm not even, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to take away anything from what the Lakers have done. I'm simply saying, if you, and so like Guru did a really good job of talking about some like the players that the, that the Grizzlies have put together. Let me get, let me read you a couple of names off the uh, Toronto Raptors team that were available to pretty much anybody. Uh, Chris Boucher. He was on the Warriors program before this. I, I, I'm so like, mad that the Warriors let go of Chris Boucher. Yeah. Like, I, I'm beyond Chris mad. Boucher. Beyond mad. Yeah. Let me, let, me, let me just give you some names. Chris Boucher, Terrence Davis, Matt Thomas, Patrick McCaw got let go. I mean, you're talking about players that other teams could have had but have been developed and picked by the Raptors. And not just developed and picked by the Raptors. They're the second best team in the East. The second best team. Yeah. I mean, for me, that's why I think that they, like we talk about teams that, that have done a really good job. I'm just saying like the idea that you overperform what your team is supposed to do is massive. I look back at, uh, at the podcast at the beginning of the year we did about over-unders. I mean, I think I had the, the I was like, that there's no way the Toronto Raptors are going to win 45 games this year. And boy, was I wrong. They've been amazing this year. And it, they have defied conventional wisdom. That's not to say the Grizzlies haven't and the Lakers haven't. With the Lakers, I had an inkling they'd be good. With the Grizzlies, I definitely didn't. never thought that they would be in the conversation for a playoff spot. But I would say the reason why the Grizzlies are competing for a playoff spot right now and the reason they're in the eighth seed currently is because of John Moran. It, there's a linchpin piece there, and he is definitely it. And... For me, like I said, the idea that you were supposed to be the eighth pick and you get the second pick because of lottery luck, it's impressive and it's important, but it doesn't necessarily say that it's the front office that did that. And I think the sum total of their moves is less than the sum total of what the uh, what the Raptors have done. So that's why, for me, the Raptors are the uh, the front office of the year. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah, I think Masai Ujiri, is, he has proven himself to be probably the best or second best GM in the league because of the success he's had. And, you know, you brought up a good point here about executive of the year, sorry, front office of the year in terms of um, do we award moves that are more obvious? Like you talked about Grizzlies, but also the Lakers getting LeBron. I think there was surprise that LeBron was probably going to go to the Lakers. And then Anthony Davis was inkling towards the Lakers as well. So you do bring up a good point. There is, do we give them uh, points for making moves that are, not you know they're more obvious yeah i mean i think in that particular instance i think you kind of do and the reason i say that is lebron still has to sign with your team like yeah the idea like for example the lakers won free agency the year lebron signed with them why because lebron signed with them i don't really care what the reason is they got lebron so like in that sense it is it's a little different than getting lucky in the draft right uh but for example, the idea that the Pelicans get credit for drafting Zion first when he's like a consensus number one pick is like when I was uh, – I think the Dunked On podcast had this best with that is like that's like a C move. Why? Because it's exa- it's the average thing. Literally 30 out of 30 franchises would have done the same thing in your position. And so I, I think that there's a little difference between that and uh, what you're talking about with the Lakers. Uh, like making the Anthony Davis trade was really, really hard. Yes, they paid a huge premium for it, but they have LeBron James and Anthony Davis together when, it, like you said, in a limited window. 
And the same thing could be said for the Clippers. Did they overpay for Paul George? Yeah, they definitely did. But without getting Paul George there, Kawhi Leonard doesn't may not go there. So, I mean, that's hugely important and impactful. And you have to give them credit for that. So, yes, broadly, I, I think that you have to weigh the, the value of the move and also what other teams would have done in the same position. That's why, for me, like, when you talk about, like, the Kendrick Nuns of the world, uh, although he had some other sort of, like, behavior issues and things like that that uh, that were impactful for him, but when you look at, like, the Chris Boucher's of the world, these, like, moves where any other team could have done the same dang thing but didn't, I, I give a lot of credit for that. I mean, I, one of the things that, uh, that Guru talked about uh, one of the moves there that I give a lot of credit for is like Josh Jackson, right? Like you talk about just re- like redemption projects, reclamation projects, and like getting these people into a system and saying, you know what? When you come into the NBA, you're like 19 years old. You may not be an adult. You may not really understand who you are, or what you're going to do. So, I mean, I definitely think that we have to give credit to a lot of these franchises that have done a really good job. But, I mean, those, I guess, are, are just my criteria when I evaluate this is – more on that side does that make sense guys yeah i mean for sure and it it it, it makes total sense why 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 you would think that way uh i i just think that you know the pelicans are not in the playoffs despite making that same move of, of drafting down Williams. obviously you know he's uh obviously he he missed most of the year and you you could argue that well if he was there for all of the year would the pelicans be a playoff team i would yeah, also probably. argue that in uh, the year that LeBron James was drafted number one, uh, it's it's not like the Cavs made the playoffs that year or the year after that. So it, yeah, but that team was so much worse, man. I mean, you're talking about a team that had almost zero talent with that with that Cavs team, man. I mean, I mean, I know what you're saying, but I like when I look at. Uh, when I look at the Pelicans, right, they have good players, like really good players outside of outside of Zion, right? Like Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram's an all-star. Derek Favors, if he's healthy, is more than competent. Drew Holiday's an all-NBA defender. I mean, like, they've got talent on that squad. Like, it's it's a thing. Like, it's not – it's definitely not the same circumstances – LeBron James rookie team, <laughs> like I, I mean, I, I, I'm awful. I'm not I'm, I wasn't talking about Zion. I was talking about Ja with the with the Grizzlies. But but anyways, I, I guess I, I I agree with you. Uh, I think yeah, I think the the Raptors are you know they they've done a lot and they deserve all the credit in the world for you know for what they've done. But let's move on. Let's let's move on and let's talk about uh, the worst front office, the worst front office and. Let's add a little caveat here. Your answer cannot be the Knicks. It cannot be the Knicks. So, uh, <laughs> Vikram, we'll start off with you. Oh, man. And I can't choose the Knicks? You cannot I mean, choose. You're really killing me with that one. You cannot choose uh, the Knicks. Let's see. Who would I really want to go with? Uh, well, I don't know if it's necessarily disappointing front office, but disappointing team for me. Uh, for me, I've been pretty disappointed with the Chicago Bulls, and this might go with the uh, this might come with the not Coach of the Year award as well. But just oh. <laughs> what has happened to uh, to Boylan, 
in that uh, he, him as a coach just really kills me. Like, have, did you watch Zach Levine's last couple games where he's, like, lighting the world on fire and it's basically a giant fuck you to Jim Boylan who, like, benched him in the first quarter of a game because he wasn't, like, playing defense or had three really bad defensive possessions? I mean, talk how, about a guy that is not How did he get an to, extension? How did Jim Boylan get an extension? Dude, Gar Pax, man. <laughs> I'm telling you, it, that it, front office. Like, I know I'm talking about the coach here, but, like, it's a huge thing for the front office to continue to trust in a coach that's, like, obviously lost the locker room, is not putting together a coherent defensive system. And is not, and, like, that, if you look at the development of the players on that roster, it's been really disappointing. Low, and I didn't talk about him in the most disappointing players, but, like, Lowry Markinen has plateaued. He's like the same player he was as a rookie. And I mean, like, you talk about the young talent that's on that team. They should be better than where they're at. And so for me, not counting the Knicks, they're one of the most disappointing teams in the league right now. So that's just my uh, my opinion. They should be so much better given the talent that they have. In, in fact, I, if it wasn't for Jim Boylan, I had the Bulls, you know, competing for a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference this year. Uh, but, you know, obviously you had Jim Boylan as your coach. It really prevents me from doing, making such a leap of faith on your team. But as you said, they have talent. And they, they've just done a, a really bad job developing that talent. Uh, I mean, I, I, have, I have nothing to say about, about the Bulls. It's, it's, been, it's, it's been so bad. It's, it's been really, really bad for, for them. And, and they're going to keep rebuilding for a long time uh, if, if, this, if this keeps on, you know, keeping on. But, uh, yep. Varun, who's your worst front office? Wait, Guru, who's yours? Are, are you going with the Bulls, too? No, 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 no. I, 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 I'm not going with the Bulls. I'm just, uh, I'm going around the horn. Okay, uh, sure. So, you know, when I think about this question, I think about something I've been thinking about recently, which is how much control does the front office have? You know, how much does ownership, how much say does ownership have in all this? Uh, like for the Knicks, you know, how much say does James uh, Dolan have in all this stuff? How much is he saying, no, 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 I want that player. No, no, resign him. Oh, I like that guy. And how much is the Knicks front office saying, well, let's take this guy, let's do that guy? So it's tough. Um, this question is tough. The Bulls are a good one. Um, I'm going to go with the Timberwolves. And primarily because Carl uh, Anthony Towns is getting antsy, no doubt about it. And I think he is eyeing the door. Now, they did acquire D'Angelo Russell to uh, satisfy him. But my guess is that after a year, it's not going to work out because Russell, <laughs> I don't think, is a building block. And as much as he uh, likes the Russell, Warriors I'm sure they're good with. friends. I, I don't think it's going to work out. And I think Cat uh, is going to look for a way out of Minnesota like Kevin Love did, like Kevin Garnett did. And so I, I think this is uh, I think the Wolves just did not make good trades to make them competitive. So I think just for that reason, I have to go with the Timberwolves. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Up, up over to you. Yeah, yeah, I, I was going to pick the Timberwolves, too, just because, you know, when when <laughs> they made the D'Angelo Russell trade, did you did you guys watch the video they put out after they made the Angel D'Angelo Russell trade? They, they flew out a, a charter for him. He 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 got he got flown in on a charter and they they sort of treated him like uh, 
like like a super superstar like we acquire acquired d'angelo russell guys like and it's a great it's a great story for uh, like a team like minnesota a small market team they don't get many very many stars there uh but y- you know it, it just goes to show the, the level of delusion that they have like the d'angelo russell, russell somehow he's that he's somehow going to be the savior of their uh, of their franchise no it's going to be d'angelo russell and uh, a multitude of other moves that they make that could catapult them into, you know, some sort of playoff positioning, you would hope, right, for, for, for their sake. But, yeah, I mean, Minnesota for me was, I mean, they're one of, they're one of those teams that they had a, a ton of talent on their team but were unable to do much with it. Like, they, they traded Jimmy Butler for, you know, Robert Covington, Dario Saric, and, P- P- and both of those pieces are gone. They're not on the team anymore. They were unable to develop Andrew Wiggins, obviously. That's not completely their fault. But, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, of course, he's unhappy in everything. But uh, who's going to talk about Carl Anthony Towns and his, and his inability to play defense? That's that's really the sticking point with me. And, like, if Carl Anthony Towns wants to be a franchise player on the on the Timberwolves, he's going to have to play he's going to have to play some defense. Uh, but if if you're talking about uh, if you if you want another candidate for me um, for you know worst front office the Cavs are a good one for me just because they have first of all they haven't found a way to trade Kevin Love off his huge <laughs> contract for first of all for giving Kevin Love the huge contract they signed him to that they, they for, for signing him to that huge contract and then being unable to, uh, of course, like him being unhappy there, the writing was on the wall pretty much. And of course you're unable to trade him because his contract is so huge and he's not that type of a player anymore. Right. So for that, and also hiring John Beeline, John Beeline as the coach, he, that guy is a pure college coach. I do not know which front office executive thought John, John Beeline would be, you know, a, a coach that would get along with NBA type players. He he's a college coach through and through. And by what what I mean by that is is college level coaches tend to have like full control over their programs and and, and really dictate what goes on and like what what players play, et cetera, et cetera. They have they have a lot of power there. And, and John Bailey, I think he seemed to think that he would have that kind of power in the NBA. That's not true. In the NBA, players have the power, and you need to be a player's coach. And whoever thought John John Beeline could be a players coach in the NBA is, I I don't get it, I I don't get it, and that's why the Cavs were in this hole. They fired their coach in the middle of the year, and and who did they hire? Oh, the great you know uh, replacement assistant coach that everyone has on their staff. So J B Bickerstaff, <laughs> who always seems <laughs> to get that you know part time <laughs> interim job. <laughs> As a, as a head well, coach. they extended him already, so you know. And they extended him already. <laughs> there the you coach. go. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's just one of those things, man. Like the, the Cavs look look they look like they're going to be in, not in playoff position for a very very long time, and you know, a part of it is their own doing. So that that's another candidate for me. Um, uh, you guys have any more thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, I had a couple actually. Uh... <sighs> Guru, you're going to hate me for saying this, but uh, I think the Warriors are on this list for this year. I think I, I think you're right. I have great... And this is coming from somebody who like actually genuinely likes the Warriors as a Bay Area like native. Uh, as the, with the Warriors being my team, I think that they've done a really poor job this year. I mean, 
down from the acquiring D'Angelo Russell, uh, trading him for Andrew Wiggins, which I understand the concept of the trade. And certainly betting against the Timberwolves is very lucrative. So let's not get that part twisted. But the particularly some of the moves they made, like trading Andre Iguodala for a really bad, like to give up a first, like a really good first rounder, like an unprotected, like top three protected first rounder in 2025, I believe it was. I mean, some of these picks, uh, getting rid of Shabazz Napier and Trevon Graham, like for nothing. Like you're talking about players that could have actually played for you this year. And I think that they would have been better this year had they not made the D'Angelo Russell trade, which is really kind of sad to say. But I, I've just been unimpressed with what the, the Warriors front office has done this year. So I don't know, man. Hopefully they come back next year with a healthy clay and a, and a healthy staff and hopefully a more motivated Draymond Green. But it's been a rough one, man. It's been I, rough. I, I think... I actually think the Warriors front office has been bad for several years in a row and they're only facing the brunt of their bad decisions right now because, you know, without without Steph, without Clay, without and without Draymond for, you know, some part of the year, your flaws uh, for as far as team building goes are going to be exposed. And I think I really think after Jerry West left for the Clippers, the the quality of the front office decisions that the Warriors have been making have been going down lower and lower and lower. And it starts with, you know, moves like giving up Chris Boucher when you had him under control on your on your on your G League squad. Right. And it's it's it just starts with that. It starts with it starts with, you know, um, making trades like Andre Godala for unprotected first round pick. These are the types of things that sort of happen. Uh, obviously, some of, some of this was like a reaction to Kevin Durant leaving, right? And and I understand that you know you're opening a new a new facility in San Francisco. You want to get you want to sell tickets, blah blah blah. Let's, let's get another star in here, and you wanted to use D'Angelo Russell as you know that asset. I I personally I think that the Warriors had the Timberwolves uh, by the balls, for lack of a better term, and they sort of let go. And it, they could have easily traded D'Angelo Russell over the offseason. There would have been a couple more suitors for him. But given how much the Timberwolves wanted him, I thought you really, really should have taken advantage of that. Uh, in any D'Angelo Russell, Russell trade, I think Andrew Wiggins would have come back in it, and I would have been fine with that. But uh, like, I felt the Warriors should have gotten more out of that trade, quite frankly. Yeah, and I'll be honest. The... The thing with the with the Andrew Wiggins trade is I, I think they did as good of a job as they could on the trade. Like, I'm not unhappy with what Andrew Wiggins is. Like, particularly what he's done for the Warriors so far has given me a lot of hope with uh, a lot of hope in terms of what he could be. He, he, he's a better fit. He's a better fit, but he's a better fit with a huge contract. And that should have cost in Minnesota something, my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about multiple picks to get off of his contract alone. Before you even get to the fact that you're giving them a player that they want. So, I mean, it's a tough sell. It's definitely a tough sell. So, I think that's kind of where I'm coming from with that. But, I mean, I broadly understand what you're saying there. Like I said, I've been pretty disappointed with what they've done. Uh, particularly with their drafting choices, too. Although, Eric Paschal is a great story. But, other than that, like, 
trading up for Smiley Geach, uh, Jordan Poole, Jacob Evans that they had to get off of. I mean, like, their drafting has been poor. Their signings have been poor. Their actual trades have been generally kind of poor. So, I mean... Oh, and I, I also very much disliked the trade to uh, trading... Uh, trading Glenn Robinson and, uh, and Alec Burks to Philly for like two garbage seconds. I really kind of dislike that. I understand it got him under the, uh, under the tax, but I mean, you could have re-signed Glenn Robinson the third and he probably would have helped you. So it's a couple things like that really, uh, really rubbed me the wrong way. Rune, I hear silence. Yeah. Um, no, I was just listening to what you guys were saying. And um, I think uh, the Warriors will see how Andrew Wiggins plays. I think his play was promising. And I think that will dictate if the Warriors had a successful offseason uh, this past year. Um, their office made good decisions. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I think that will definitely dictate how how it happens. And they, he mean, has played well so far, right? The, the, the early uh, returns are promising, which is good yeah, because definitely. I've ragged on Andrew Wiggins a lot in the past. I mean, I've, we've talked about him and uh, the Wolves owner, gullible Glenn Taylor, who gave him a big contract. <laughs> gullible said, Glenn. You know, so will you, will like you promise Trump to play game. well, Andrew? Will you promise to play well? He's like, yes, sir. And he gives him like $150 million, uh, just off a of promise. But he, he's, you know, I, I like the way he was, you know, in Minnesota, he was playing a lot better. And uh, so, well, let's see how he plays with Steph and Clay and Draymond Green. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing them next year. Hopefully they stay healthy and hopefully they're competitive again. This this year, the Warriors draft pick, the fact that they got under the cap, the fact that they have a trade exception, how they use those things will determine like how this offseason goes for them. And uh, yeah, and it really that the that is their that is literally their saving grace from last offseason for the Andre Iguodala trade they got that trade exception they had they they have to find a way to use that they have to find a way to use the taxpayer mid level uh and they have to find a way to you know uh use the extra cash that they got under uh on their uh under their tails by you know getting out of the repeater tax so yeah with that guys uh so this episode is already over 1 hour 13 minutes so Hey, do you guys want to continue the awards session in a in the next episode? Let's sure. Finish yeah, it quickly. I think we, we have, have coach. We have coach and most improved player, right? I think we can do it pretty quickly. Yeah, well, uh, well let's finish it up. That way, we don't have to. Yeah. All right, guys. Yeah. All right, most improved player. Let's do it quickly. So, mine is Luka Doncic. Just a fantastic jump, and the Mavs are on the playoffs, and he has been a remarkable offensive player. Uh, triple double machine, great playmaking, great scoring, great shooting, great everything on offense. And the jump he made was remarkable. It's not just his usage rate that went up, but also his overall play, his efficiency. So for me, it's it's uh, Luka Doncic for most improved player. Uh, I have a uh, on principle, I disagree with giving it to a second year player. And so I think mine. Sure. Uh, would go to Brandon Ingram, who, whose jump I think has been much, much less expected, right? To go from, I mean, certainly nobody expected Luka Doncic to be an MVP candidate, but I mean, I think to say he was going to be an all-star was not like unexpected. 
uh, for me, the the jump that Brandon Ingram has made is is truly remarkable and should be recognized as that. I think he, for me, he's the uh, he's my pick for most improved player. You know, Maru? yeah, yeah. So I, I I actually also had Brandon Ingram as my most improved player, uh, and it was for the same reason. We never expected him to come in and be you know an all star level <clears throat> player this year, and and that and that's what he was for 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 the Pelicans. I just wish the Pelicans could have played a little better. Uh, with with all with all the players that they had, I wish they could have been in play opposition with Zion, and uh, they could have really made some noise there. But uh, but anyways, we we'll see how that goes. My my second place for most improved player, probably more of a comeback player, but Dwight Howard. <laughs> I, I, I oh I mean, yeah I, yeah he's he he's, he definitely deserves a shout out for you know from where he was being being traded all over the place to finding a home in LA. He wasn't even given a, a guaranteed spot on the team, if I recall correctly, right? He had to earn that. He was, he's getting paid like ten grand a day. Yeah. And, for every day he's up. Right. Roster, and he, so, he, he well. ended up being a, you know, the the solid the backup center for, you know, for, for the Lakers and and coming back and I mean and being a rotation player and that's that's an improve, improvement for him. Yeah, personally, a big, a big improvement for him for where where he was in previous years. So yeah, uh, Dwight Howard deserves a shout out. But if I had to vote for most improved player, it'd be for Brandon Ingram. Okay, next award yeah. is uh, is Coach of the Year. Coach of the Year. Um, uh, let's start with Vikram. Okay. Uh, one last thing on most improved player, Russell Westbrook, on some dark horse shit should should be considered. But anyway, uh, I've never yeah. seen a change in in game like that. Anyway. Uh, moving on to coach of the year, mine is Nick Nurse. Definitely 100%. I think what he's done with the Raptors to get them where they are is truly remarkable. And he, I think he's a shoe in for this. I, I don't even think that there's another. That, he is the best candidate. I'll put it that way. Okay. I like, you know, Nick Nurse, no doubt, given what Toronto's done this year. I think Taylor Jenkins need to, needs to be considered because he was like a no name. At least I didn't know about him at all. And then what he's done with Memphis, with the pieces that he's had, I think he's done a fantastic job. It's been really, really impressive, in my opinion. Those are my top two, but I would give the edge to Nick Nurse, like you, Vikram. So I agree with you there. Uh, I would give more th- more than the edge to Nick Nurse. I'd give him the entire like he, he's he's been fantastic. Uh, I do not know I do not know how you could possibly vote for anybody else this year, given the circumstances that the Raptors have gone through this year. Um, I, I, another name that comes to mind, other than Taylor Jenkins, Taylor Jenkins was actually my second place guy, is Billy Donovan for, with the Thunder. What, what he's done, and um, you know, the Thunder came into the year with you know pretty low expectations after you know trading uh, Russell Westbrook and Paul George, but you know they they made the most of with the team that they had on the court, and you know Billy Donovan deserves a lot of praise for that. So you know, those are I I, I did, is that a good top three guys? Uh, um, yeah, yeah. I think it's fair. I think and Frank I think, Vogel. I think uh, if I could bring up, yeah, Frank Vogel. I think just because my belief, I think the belief is that he was brought in to be a one-year or two-year coach at Max, and then Jason Kidd takes over. But I think the way he, the job he's done this year, I think he's going to be there for some time. So I think uh, he gets credit too. Yeah, definitely. I uh, I completely agree with. Uh, with what Bruin said with regards to Frank Vogel, I think that his his performance has been masterful in a way that I had not anticipated. And so uh, he does deserve a lot of credit for that. Does it doesn't make me a bad person when uh, like whenever I see Jason Kidd on the bench, I laugh. 
does that make me a terrible person? Because he's gonna do his trick. He's gonna he's gonna ask a player to bump him. Hello, his darkness, my old friend. <laughs> we're awful. Basically, is where I'm getting out of this. But uh... oh, I think we have a Razzie version of Coach of the Year. So, who's been your most disappointing coach, uh, Vikram? <laughs> the most, answer's not Jim uh, ba- John Bayline. Oh, <laughs> Boylan, the other B weird name, Boylan and Beeline, my my two most disappointing coaches this year. Oh. <laughs> uh, in, in reality, I would actually say, uh, not including those two, I think my uh, my real disappointing pick for this year is Ryan Saunders. On I Minnesota. Think, yeah, Minnesota? he might be. You thought he would be better? I think he might be the worst coach in the league. Okay. Wow. Okay. Seriously. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. So, okay, um, so I didn't have a whole lot of expectations for Jim Boylan or John Boylan, so that's why I didn't consider them. I had expectations for Brett Brown, though. I had expectations for Philly, and although Philly is still, you know, they're still a good team, they have a good winning record, it could have been a lot better. And I think Brett Brown has been there five, six years, and I, I just don't think he's put the performance that we expected given that he has two really solid defensive players and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Um, it's not completely his fault because now he's locked in with Toby Harris and Al Horford. I mean, they have pretty big contracts, so he's locked in with those pieces for a while, but I think he's got to figure it out because I think he's on the hot seat. He, I expected him to do a lot better given what he had. Guru? Oh, yeah, okay, so I, I'm also going toward the most disappointing angle, not not the worst coach in the NBA angle, but the most disappointing. And uh, for me, it's Alvin Gentry. And and the reason why it's Alvin Gentry for me is because I expected the Pelicans to be much better than they were to start the, start off the season. And obviously, you know, they had, they've come on lately, and they've, they've sort of turned it around. But had they started off the season better, they would probably be in playoff position right now. And the Pelicans in playoff position with Zion Williamson would have... Would have been, you know, a really fun team to watch over the course of the playoff. Uh, over the course of the playoffs, I, I, I really, am disappointed that Alvin Gentry was not able to get this team to playoff position, especially given the way that they were built. They they had so much depth on their on their squad, and it, it was it was alluded to by either Varun or Vikram. I forgot, but Drew Holiday, Defensive Player of the Year, Brandon Ingram, he developed into an All Star this year. Uh, JJ Redick, great shooter to either have off your bench or, or starting in your starting lineup. Um, uh, Josh Hart, again, a pretty good player to have off your bench, and and, and not to mention uh, even without even without Zion, right? Uh, I, I uh, Nikola Milli, great a great shooter, great acquisition that that, that the Pelicans made uh, before the season started. Uh, a player from from Europe, so they had they had a great team even even without Zion. I felt. I felt that they they could have made a run for, for for the postseason. I'm a little disappointed in Alvin Gentry for not you know uh, not lighting a fire under his guys uh, to start off the year because they started off the year really really bad. So um, yeah, for me it's Alvin Gentry. Huh? Yeah, I mean I think injuries played a pretty big part there too. I mean I I understand what you're saying and I think it's very fair. Uh, I think like I said injuries are a pretty significant. Thing in, in with respects to that, but like, yeah, it makes total sense what you're saying. Okay. So uh, yeah. Uh, so, so so with that, 
the episode has gone to one hour and 22 minutes. So, uh, yeah. so uh, did we miss any uh, awards or do we want to talk about another one, another award really quickly? Uh, is there any award you had in mind? I think we covered them unless you guys have one in mind. No, I, I think that that's, uh, I think that that's probably good. I think we've covered all of them plus a couple of our own invention. So yeah. it's, fun, it's been a fun pod guys. Yeah. It's, it's been yeah. a really fun pod. I, I really enjoyed this. We should, uh, yeah. I, we should definitely do uh, all NBA teams next week. Oh yeah, for sure. All NBA. That's, that's going to be going to be interesting. Do you guys think the season's over by the way? Just a side note. Yes or no. I think we're, I think yes, we're getting closer and closer to it. Yeah, if I had to bet, I think it's over. I still have my hopes out. I I I think if you had to ask me, probability is that it is over. But I think there is still uh, a chance that they'll try and do something. All right, and those are your answers from the Ballistic Podcast uh, co-hosts. Uh, for me, I think the season's over. I think I don't think you can go back to playing the season. You can go back to playing, you know, a, a, a different form of the season before the playoffs start. But I think the season, as it is scheduled, is is over. And um, for um... well, I think the owners just quickly. I think the owners do have a big say, and I think they want that money, so they might try and do something. But yes, they sorry, go ahead. They, they want that TV money. I I I did hear one thing. I heard I heard that the NBA is postulating putting all the teams in two different cities. Just bringing all, every oh, NBA right, team to two two cities, and having them play in those cities. No, it makes it actually makes sense when you think about it. Yeah, uh, yeah essentially I, whatever brings the season back. It, it, yeah, it, we're it, like it, anything to get anything. basketball. It, it it makes sense from a Corona standpoint, but it will be interesting to see how the lo- logistics of that work out. When do you schedule games? Where do where, where the teams play? Uh, what, what times do they play, et cetera? Do, does the schedule change because uh, based on what cities the teams are at? So that, that'll that be interesting to see. But uh, yeah, uh, this has been another episode of the Ballistic Podcast. Please uh, don't forget to download and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. We are there. We are alive. And uh, yeah, for Vikram and for Rune, I'm, I'm Guru. Uh, have a good rest of your night and... Uh, Thanks for listening. And stay safe, everybody. Peace.